You are listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. This is a podcast about maternal mental health. Disclaimer, we are not professionals. We are moms who've experienced this ourselves and want to share our stories and stop the stigma. Heads up, some content may be triggering. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and more. Hey friends, this is Leslie and I am here with my friend Katie. Hello. And my friend Jesse is co-hosting with me tonight, so thank you. <laughs> She's so excited. Um, so anyways, Katie, I, you approached us. You, were, you are connected with Nina, who did a podcast with us, and um, I loved her story. And I'm so grateful that you reached out because just by the little bit that we just talked about, I can already tell that this is very special to your heart. Um, the timing of it totally was totally meant to be super crazy that we were booked out to where we're booked out and we'll go into that but anyways so I'm just excited I'm just gonna let you go for it um tell us kind of your journey of becoming a mom did you always want to be a mom oh yes um I honestly since I was a little girl and it's interesting because I grew up in a home with very business savvy kind of women and the last thing that they were were stay-at-home moms and so for me I remember as a little girl like oh all I want to do is be a mom and I want to have five or six kids of course it's different down the road after you have your first one but for me my case motherhood it's funny because my husband and I tonight at dinner I sat down and I said, you know, thinking about doing this interview here in a couple of hours, my motherhood journey has been anything but normal. What What is normal, I guess? I, I don't know. And he said, well, it was definitely rock, rockier than most. And I said, yeah, it's it's never been quite normal for me. And it still isn't to this day. And we kind of giggled about it. But um, so May of 2015, I had just finished my undergrad at UVU. And my husband and I were moving for the summer. He did door-to-door sales at the time. And we decided that we were going to not aggressively try, but not prevent. And this was about in July when we were out in Louisiana. Well, I got a job offer that had, so I had to fly back home the end of July. And I get home and um, so for about six weeks, we lived apart from each other. Um, and he moved back home, back to Pro. We moved to a rental home in Provo. And so uh, when he got home, it was that September. We obviously were not preventing, and we thought, okay, well, let's go ahead and and give it another whirl. So we did, and sure enough, October 1st, it was so funny because I had so many doubts, like, oh, I wasn't pregnant, you know, it, because my little sister-in-law came to me October 1st that same night to tell me she was pregnant. And I was like, just so ecstatic for her, excited. And we were making a craft and both of our husbands were at school. And so I said, I'm going to go to the restroom. But I didn't tell her like I was going to go take a test. And she didn't really know that we were trying, you know. And so I go into the bathroom and I take it. And I remember I look at it and it's just this faintest line. And I'm like, Oh, wait, this wasn't supposed to happen tonight, too. So long story short, I I run out. She finds out before my husband even finds out that night because he's still at school. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So we I tell her I'm pregnant, too. And so that was October 1st. We found out um, that we were pregnant with our little boy, Cooper. And my pregnancy was so by the book. 
it was like from the start, it was the morning sickness. I remember being, he, I was more sick with him than my second pregnancy, I would say, looking back. Um, everything was like perfect. Uh, no concerns at all with our doctor. My, my OB that I was seeing at the time, he was in American Fork and, um, he was great. He actually had a lot of knowledge and in, in years experience in what he was doing. And I was referred by a friend who used to work for him. So I had, you know, nothing but a lot of trust in him and, and, and faith uh, taking care of me. So, Oh, it was interesting. So here I go through the first trimester. Everything looks great. Um, we find out in December one Saturday that, oh, he was a little boy. And my husband was just ecstatic because, oh, we've got this mini me now. And this is so, I'm going to teach him, you know, to play ball and all this stuff. And it was just so sweet how he, how he would talk about what he was going to do with them. Um, and did you pick his name, Cooper? At my that husband point? did. Yeah. No, oh, actually, okay. um, the way that his name came about, I'll share, but that it was actually the day that I delivered him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll share that here in a little bit. But fast forward, February 14th, 2016, the morning of, we wake up. It was like any other Sunday. Um, I had terrible heartburn. And I remember rolling over and I told my husband, can you just run to the store? It was early. It was like 6.30 in the morning. I'm like, my throat was on fire. We don't have any more Zantac. Will you run to the store and get me some? And it was kind of his opportunity, too. I knew it in the moment to be like, oh, shoot. I didn't get her anything for Valentine's Day like the day of. I'm going to go get her flowers real quick. So he gets back about 20, 30 minutes later. And he's like, hey, I've got everything. And I get up and I go around the corner. And he's got this... And I love this part of the day because this was the one part of that day that is so like special to me. But he had a bouquet of roses in the Zantac and then he had some hot tamales and a little note that says, oh, baby, the only one that gives me heartburn is you. <laughs> and we thought it was, I just thought it was so funny. And how far along are you at this point? So I was 24 weeks that morning. And so um, we go to church and we get out and at about 1.30 we take a nap. And, um, by that time it was probably like two 30 when we'd woken up. Now earlier that day at church, I remember in sitting at church, feeling more Braxton Hicks than usual. And I remember that morning waking up, telling my husband, Oh, he's super active this morning. Like, and I'm loving it. And so, but nothing out of the ordinary. It wasn't like anything. There was no signs, I guess, for me to like be worried. And so um, we wake up from our nap and I'm, I feel like I should share all the detail because it is part of the story, but my husband and I decided to have sex. Mm-hmm. And immediately after that, we, I sat up and I said, Ooh, I felt like this really kind of sharp pain down lower belly. And I just, but I kind of just associated it like, Oh, it, it's probably just a little irritated. We're fine. So I took a drink of water and then I get up out of the bed seconds later. I was like, maybe I'll just walk around for a second or stretch. By the time that I got to the edge of the bed, I I felt this sharp pain again. And I remember like grabbing like my, my lower left side and like crouching over the end of the bed. And I said to Tyler, I said, that really hurt. And he's like, well, why don't you just drink some more water and sit down? I said, okay. So then by that time, like, I just sat down on the ground at the edge of the bed. 
And like maybe five, six minutes later, this pain comes on again. And I'm like noticing that I'm like now having to kind of breathe through it. Right. And I'm like, oh, that's a really bad Braxton Hick. Like that's really, I was just very much like, I'm not in labor. Like this baby's 24 weeks a day. We're not having the baby today. Yeah, I yeah. And I didn't know what to expect besides, oh, mm. it's just a Braxton Hick. I'm the type that doesn't go to the hospital unless I'm on my deathbed. It yeah. takes a lot for me to go. <laughs> Oh, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, by this point, I'm on the ground, and I and I feel this sharp pain again. I'm like, you know what, Tyler, I'm going to call the young call doctor AF and see what he says. So I call him, and I said, I'm having these abnormally sharp pains. Um, and he said, are they patterned? And at that point, I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I haven't been paying attention. Like, the last 10 minutes, it's kind of just been, it's been there, but I wouldn't say a pattern. I don't know. I what are we supposed to track a pattern? I just didn't even know like really how to answer that. And he said, well, if they're not going away, if you've had some water, if it's pretty intense to where you have to breathe through them, why don't you come on in and let's check you out? And I said to him, uh, okay, I'm going to try a hot shower. Maybe I'll, maybe that'll relieve the cramps a little bit. And, um, we'll see, we'll see if that calms it down and everything's good. And, uh, so I get off the phone with him, and now we're half hour into the pain. And I did notice when I got off the phone with him, I took my clothes off and I stepped into the shower. And at that moment, I kind of knew the pain was coming on quicker, more intense. So I'm like, is this what contractions are? Like, I don't know. It's my first pregnancy, but is this contractions? And, uh, as soon as I turned around and the water hit my back, um, just this intense, what I now know was a contraction came and I fell to my hands and my knees and my husband was out in the living room and I screamed for him and he came running in. And at this point I was on my hands and knees crawling out because there was just this intense pain. I, I didn't know what it was. I knew something was hurting. And it was intense, and um, I told him, something's wrong with me or the baby. We need to go to the hospital, and we need to go now. And he looks at me, he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, don't ask me any more questions. Get me, and I'm naked. I have nothing on. I'm on my hands and my knees, and I'm holding the bottom part of my stomach. I said, just find me the first shirt. Get me something on my body. Help me, and let's get in the car and go. So he hurries, he throws a shirt on me, throws the nearest pajama pants that he can see, and up and out the door we go. Well, <laughs> the, the hospital was five minutes from us there in Provo, <laughs> but knowing me, we were seeing an OB in American Fork. We're like, oh, okay, well, we need to drive clear to American Fork. <laughs> so we're a little naive then, like, just... We don't know what's going on, but at, at this point, when he gets me in the car, I know that I'm having contractions because now they're two minutes apart. I've got Ooh. my phone out. Oh, my gosh. And they're two minutes apart. And um, we're driving to American Fork. It was really bad inversion that day, so it was just dark, dreary. The air was so bad. And um, by the time we pulled up, I would say by the time we got to Pleasant Grove, and we were nearing the exit, my contractions were like a minute apart and I was just screaming and I was holding on to the door and 
And Tyler, I just remember he was like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I just was screaming and I kept asking him like, what's going on? You know? And I just said, it hurts, Tyler. It hurts. So he pulls up to the front of the hospital and he says, I'm going to, um, I'm going to drop you off here at front and I'm going to park. I want you to walk yourself up to labor and delivery. So I'm like, okay, as I'm contracting and I'm just, but at this point now I'm having the contractions along with like the sensation to pee and poop like it. And here I am like, I don't know. I just feel like it, you know, so I get up to labor and delivery and the, and the nurse, I'll never forget the nurse that was sitting at the the front desk there. She goes, can I help you? I mean, she looks shocked because I'm, I'm running up and I'm like, and I'm breathing heavy and I'm going, I need help, please. I need help. And she's like, well, what can I help you with? And I said, I don't know. I think I have to go to the bathroom. That's all I told her. And so I started heading towards like the guest bathroom that was out in the lobby. And she said, no, 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 no. I need you to come into this room. So she, she gets me into a room. And at this point, I said, can I just please sit on the toilet? I've, I've got to go to the bathroom. I don't know what's going on. And she's like, yes, but I need you to get in this gown. And I get on the toilet, and I have another big contraction, so I scream. And she said, can you get this gown on? I said, I can't get off this toilet. I can't get off this toilet. And she's like, oh, my gosh. So by the time I had, like, a second contraction with just that nurse, I think she got scared. So she called in another nurse. And then the second nurse comes in and she says, we really need you to get this gown on. Please get this gown on. I said, I can't move from the toilet. She's like, can I see in the toilet at all? And I was like, I, yes. And so I kind of went like this, but I was, I was having these contractions like, and I was screaming and it just, so then I could tell the second nurse was pretty scared. So, or, or so it seemed, um, They called for the third nurse to come in, and I will never forget this nurse. It's interesting because I feel like you can connect with certain medical professionnel, and then there's just some you don't. And this woman was like a lifesaver. She comes in, and through my screaming, she gets on her hands and knees while I'm on the toilet still. And she puts her hands on my knees, and she says, I need you to listen to me. This is life or death. For you or your baby. I need you to get up. And I need you to walk to the hospital bed right here. I need you to just lay down. Forget about the gown. Lay down and let me look. And I just remember like the 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 connection we made. Eye contact. Like it was game time and we need to concentrate. This is, we got to do this together. And that's what it felt like, like together, like it was a team thing. Like she was there for me and she carried me over to the hospital bed and I leaned back. By this point, my husband was parking the car still and he was signing me, signing us in, admitting us. And so he hadn't even made it up to labor and delivery yet. The second I opened my legs, she looks and she says, you are in the right place. We need you to stay right here. And it. But I, I can't even remember the, the word she said directly after that. But all of a sudden I hear doctor. She screams doctor. Oh uh, doctor. From then, I, I know something's bad because mm-hmm. we're screaming doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, he comes in and he immediately checks me and he says, you are in the right place at the right time. This baby's coming. And I, 
I like remember looking at him and I was like, what? And he said, yeah, this baby's on its way. Like we have to take you in for emergency C-section right now. Your sack is protruding and um, we can see his little foot. And, and I, and I remember just like, I didn't even have time to process anything that was going on. I mean, just an hour ago, I was fine an hour ago, you know, and then now we're having a baby 24 weeks. Like, and it was all, I, it was all a lot to process. So, so he tells me the baby's on the way from there. For the next five minutes, it's like a blur because I had a bunch of medical, you know, professional come in and they start hooking me up to wires and these monitors and preparing for the, the operating room. And I said, well, where's my husband? Somebody call my husband. And so I heard one of the nurses call down at the front desk and say, we need our husband up here right away. And he gets up there and he gets in the room and the doctor says, son, I need you to put on this gown. You guys are having your baby right now. Um, And I'll never forget the look that my husband gave. Um, after they had him put on the gown, he just kind of stayed up by my head and my bedside. And they said, let's go to the post-op room. And uh, we, we had minutes. That's what they were telling us. We've got minutes to save him. You don't understand. He's, he's, he's here. But we need him to come out via C-section if we're going to save his little brain. And uh, that same amazing nurse was on the other side of me. And as they were wheeling me to the OOP room, I was having contractions still. And I remember the, anest- is it the anesthesiologist. Yeah, he was saying to me, Whatever you do, don't push. And, I, and I'm thinking, how can I not push? My body's wanting to push. He said, when you have a contraction, just try not to push. Don't push. Scream. Do whatever you need to do, but take the focus elsewhere. And this is, you know, they're, this is in the process of wheeling me down to the, the operating room. And so I had a few contractions. We get into the operating room, and, uh, and the nurse, the incredible nurse, um, said, okay, I'm going to transfer you onto this bed. But when I transfer you onto this bed, if you have a contraction, you just squeeze me tight, dig dig into me, whatever you need to do. I don't care if you scratch me, whatever. But I try not to push. Try not. They were so worried about me pushing because I, I, my body was trying to push, but they just didn't want him to come out anymore that way. So um, I remember sitting on the side and I... This sounds silly because I forget. I didn't have enough time for an epidural, but they gave me something else that still does the same effects of numbing the body halfway down. There's no, I don't like know. Like a spinal block, maybe? Could have been. <sighs> I can't I remember. Know. I know but, there's something else. I don't know. I know there's yeah. something, but I don't think that's what <laughs> yeah. I gave you. <laughs> no, no, no. So, but I remember it wasn't an epidural, but in those minutes that we had, I just remember like, they injected into my back, and then from there, I, I laid back, and um, I can remember the curtain going up, 
And at that point, like I started going in and out of shock. Um, you know, the operating room is like super bright and super cold and super weird smell. And it just gives off weird vibes to me. I get it. It has to be a sterile environment. But um, at that point, when they put the curtain up, my husband was petting my head and and telling me that it was going to be okay. And I started going in and out of shock. So I became unresponsive because I just didn't have enough time to like process what was going on. And so I started going in and out of shock. And so I can remember one of the one of the nurses suggesting oxygen. So they put oxygen on me. And I remember at one point, it's, I lost like conscious for a second through going into shock. And then I came back and I just remember crying and tears were streaming down my face. And I remember looking at my husband and I said, I don't think he's ready, Ty. And he said, he's as ready as he'll ever be. And you betcha he's going to come out and he'll be alive. And I said, no, he's not. Um, so while they were performing the C-section, I kept saying to him, he's not ready. He's not ready. Um, and my husband said, let's talk about what we're going to name him. What's going to be his name? And I said, you name him, honey. What did you want to name him? And he said, remember his name's going to, I love Cooper. How about Cooper? And I said, that's fine. And then I kept kind of going back and forth, like turning my head forward and trying to see up over the curtain somehow. And, and I said, Tyler, is he out? Is he alive? Is he alive? I don't want to see him dead. I remember shouting that. I'm like, I can't see him dead. I don't want to see him dead. And, uh, then I got really sick right away and I started throwing up off to the side and my husband was catching it. And the next thing you know, um, we hear, come on, little guy, come on, little guy, come on, little guy. And you hear the tiniest, like, squeal that I would, like, identify as him crying. And it, I told my husband, I said, I... I don't want to look. I was so deathly afraid that I was about to see a dead baby, my dead baby. And so I said to him, I said, I don't want to look. I don't want to look. I said, will you look for us? Please just look for us. And, and he looks over and he says, he's alive. He's alive. And I was like, okay. And uh, gosh, they put him in the incubator. Um, and my husband was by my head, and and uh, I started going out of uh, back into the shock again, and started. I became unresponsive, just staring at the ceiling. Um, and that's when I looked to my left, and my husband was on the ground. <laughs> he was praying. To And he was bargaining. <laughs> that if he would just let him live, that he would be the best dad in the world. And at that point, <laughs> they wheel him over to my hospital bed real quick. And the one, it was one of the respiratory therapists on the 
what is the, the emergency response team at the time? Um, he said, we don't have a lot of time. We got to take him over to Provo NICU. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. And so he said, is there, do you want to see him? And they rolled him up next to me. And, and he said, you can touch him if you want to touch him. And I remember seeing him there in, in the little incubator. And I touched him and I said, you fight for me and I'll fight for you. And I'll be with you soon. <laughs> and they wheeled him off. And in fact, they couldn't lifelight him that day because the air was so bad. So they had to take him via ambulance. But I remember in that moment, they wheeled him off and... My husband goes, what do I do? Do I go with you or do I go with him? And he was just conflicted. Like, who? you have to stay here, obviously. They're operating on you still and stitching you up, and you've got to recover here until they can discharge you. But he was, like, in such a panic in the moment. And I looked at him, and I said, Tyler, go with him. I will be okay. And then I don't, I don't remember much after that. They wheeled him off, and uh, my husband left me. I remember him saying, be strong and I'll be back. And I said, okay. Um, and then it was like I had passed out. I don't know if it was from the medication and just all the shock and everything. It was pretty quick that I had just kind of, I think, you know, passed out. Yeah. And the next thing I know, I remember that night. So what happened is, so everything started at about 2, 2.30ish. I had him at 4.44 p.m. exactly. He came out a pound, eight excuse me, a pound, eight ounces, 14 inches long. And he was exactly 24 weeks. So they considered him a micro preemie. And um, so I remember like a couple of hours later, I, I woke up in a post-op room. So it wasn't really like a mother baby room yet that they had transferred. It was just a post-op room. And I woke up to my siblings by my side, my two brothers and my brother's wife, my sister-in-law at the time. And she... I uh, just started sobbing when I, like, woke up and noticed that they were there. And the look that they had, they had this incredible amount of fear in their eyes. Like, what happened and are you okay? And I looked at them, and, and I'm the type who, I hate to say this, but I'm more codependent than not. Um, but in that moment, I can remember waking up and looking at them and going, guys, it's going to be okay. Like, he, he's alive. Tyler's with him down at Provo Hospital, like he's alive. He's in the NICU. We're gonna make it. And kind of oblivious to like what I actually was about to go through next with the NICU experience. I just thought like he's alive and we're good. And and that night was interesting. Um, they finally put me in a mother baby room, and I remember I didn't feel too distressed that same night being apart from him. And I don't know if it helped knowing that my husband was there with him. Cause I think if my husband were there with me, it would have been like way worse, mm -hmm. but I just felt like, okay, he's there like with him. Um, and so that night, as silly as it sounds like I remember just kind of tired and in and out of shock. And then we had, um, what are they called? The boob women. Lactation specialists? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They are. They came in and right away she's like, okay, well, let's start pumping. And I'm like, 
pumping. Like, do I even have milk? Yeah. And she's like, oh, yes, you do. Your body picked up. And to my surprise, it did. So we hooked up and we I started pumping the first little bit of colostrum. She kind of gave oh. me the information about that. But I did. I, I Sure enough, I had a colostrum. And then she kind of gave me all these facts about preemie milk and how it was different. It was really intriguing and interesting, actually. So then I was really tired, went to bed that night. Woke up that next day, and that's when I was kind of, I started to become stressed out because I wasn't in the same hospital as my baby was. Um, and the night before, I, my husband, I always think about how hard it must have been leaving me in that scene. And he drove himself alone, cleared of the Provo Hospital, watched him get admitted. Um, I just... I feel like through this like personal experience why I keep bringing up my husband is because I think a mom gets noticed a lot because she carries the baby, right? And she gets, but the fathers are not talked about enough. And I'm like, yeah, I was brave, but you should have seen my husband. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine the feelings of admitting your son, you're on your own, you're feeling helpless and... I just still to this day, my heart sinks sometimes because I'm like, you are so brave, Tyler. How'd you do that? And he's like, how did you do it? You know, we credit each other back and forth. But that, that anyways, that neck, back to my story here, that next day of following his birth, that's when I started to become stressed out. And I was like, you know, I, I just need to get to him. And they said, well, like by protocol, you have to be here three days max with the C-section. And they were going through all this and you have to be able to do this, 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 and this and show us this so we could discharge you. And so I can remember the first day just, you know, I'm on pain medication. My uterus is, I didn't have too many of those contractions after with him. And I think it was just because I was 24 weeks. So I don't remember like the pain of that really. I just remember being drugged up a lot, like, and just, you know, mm -hmm. I remember the one thing they said, well, you have to prove you have to walk around the hospital. So 48 hours into my stay there, I got up that, that morning and went, it's today I'm leaving. Um, I don't care. I'll fake it till I make it. <laughs> so I grab all my cords and I go out. And I said, hi. And I'm trying to make it a show to all the nurses and everything so they can say, oh, you know, Katie's up and walking. Maybe we can discharge her and she can go down and be their son. <laughs> so I'm making a big deal out of it and I'm walking around and all this stuff. And and uh, I got discharged maybe 24 hours earlier. So I was pretty happy about that. Yeah. I was like, oh, thank goodness. So uh, I didn't have to stay the full three days. I only had to stay the two days. Um, what I did not prepare myself for, I think I was still in such, I don't even know if it's like shock or it's just my brain didn't have enough time to really process like still what was going on. Because I remember feeling like, okay, I'm going to go to the hospital and see my son. And I wasn't afraid or anything until I actually got there. And um, my mom and my husband got me out of the car and we got up to the NICU and as soon as the elevators opened, I said, my knees are feeling weak. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And um, my husband said, it's going to be okay. Like, you're going to do this. Keep walking. Let's go. You can meet him. And I said, no, I'm feeling lightheaded. I'm, I really feel like I'm going to pass out. I don't know that I can do this. Um, 
So he, he runs in. He says, hey, we need a wheelchair. Can we get a wheelchair? And he gets me a wheelchair. And I sit down, and I'll never forget, like, entering into those NICU doors of that, that unit A of the sickest of the sickest babies were. And uh, one of the neonates greeting me. And, again, I started feeling like, I don't know that I can do this. Like, this is not... This wasn't how it was supposed to go, right? Like, what? Wait, did I really just have a baby 48 hours ago that's in here? And she got on her knees and she looked at me and she said, listen to me. And I and I was starting to tear up. She's like, I know this is hard. I know this is hard. But be proud because your baby's living. And I was like, okay. And she wrote me back to him. And uh, I remember looking at him and like, kind of just thinking in the moment like numb maybe because I just I remember just staring at him with the wheelchair and I was looking over at him and I just thought this isn't like this isn't like I'm in a dream so I think I was kind of still in this like in denial like no I mean you're still in me you know that's what was going through my head and so I remember like looking at him and then finally the tears came and I looked up at the nurse and I said, why did he choose me to go through this with him? I remember feeling then like all this like doubt come in. I looked at him and I felt bad because He was fighting for his life and I wanted to fight for him. But in that moment, I just didn't feel like I was strong to do it. I'm like, I can't do this. And then at that point, that's when the NICU journey began. And our NICU journey with Cooper was, oh, it was a... Uh, it was a ride in, in a sense. Um, the doctors were very hopeful. The doctor, the top neonate there that opened the clinic, that started the clinic there, um, he was our number one. You know, they assigned different neonates to different babies on their level of sickness. And so you get these top two if they're the sickest. And so he was. And I remember... Um, meeting him the first day and he looked like this mad scientist to me. And I'm like, well, I mean, he's got to know what he's, what he's doing, right? He looks the part, so he's got to know the part. And um, I remember meeting him and he was very positive. He kind of went over what to expect here in the next couple weeks. And so he kind of explained to my husband and I um, that, look, we want his PDA to close. It's it's the, the vein that closes when a baby's born and takes their first mm-hmm. breath. So Cooper, being that he was 24 weeks, he's very much functioning as if he was still in the womb. And then that that hole was wide open. And so he said, what we like to do is we like to treat it with Tylenol and give it a couple weeks and hopefully it'll close on its own. If not, we'll talk about um, a procedure called PDA ligation, ligation where they go in, they make a small incision through the left side of the chest they take this tiny, tiny metal clip and they just clip off part of that vein. And so it 
incredible when they explain it. So it's not as risky as like open heart surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course they don't want to do it on a pound baby, a less than a pound baby who's already fighting. So we gave it a few weeks and after all these echocardiograms um, that were coming back, Cooper was showing that it was not closing. And so, you know, I remember thinking, well, Good job, though, honey, because you are doing what you should be doing. I remember just trying to make light of it because I so badly wanted it to close on its own. I didn't want to go to PDA ligation. For some reason in my heart, so many people were telling me, the nurses, the respiratory therapists, everybody was telling me this is a great procedure and it's it's not as risky. It's very successful. And um, so... Those couple weeks of his life go by, and I haven't held him. They didn't let me hold him. Um, and I'm not sure why they didn't let me hold him from the... Like, he was hooked to an oscillator. But again, I had seen other mothers go through something similar, which they could hold their babies. Now, I do remember he was fighting a small infection. They had, like, checked his brain right at the beginning. No brain bleeds. We were okay. But there was... I I didn't... I couldn't hold him, so the... What I could do the most of was containment, where you put the hands mm-hmm. inside the incubator and you you firmly, you know, mm-hmm. just let them know that you're there and because you don't want to overstimulate them and stuff like that. So I can remember, like, um, just wanting to hold them so bad. And um, finally, after three weeks of, of these constant echocardiograms, uh, our doctor comes to us and he says, look, he's going to have to undergo the PDA ligation. And he's going to have to undergo it tomorrow. And the reason why is because he was already showing signs. If, he, if that PDA doesn't close, what happens is the blood, then instead of circulating this oxygen-rich blood throughout the body, what it's doing is it's circulating back into the lungs. The lungs can oh. expand and fill, so it puts pressure on the heart and suffocate us mm-hmm. pretty much if we didn't get this taken care of. So it's got to happen tomorrow. And I was like, okay. That day comes, and I remember he was hooked up to everything, and um, I gave him a little kiss on his head, and I said, you be strong, because this, this is what we have to do, and we're one step closer to home, buddy. You be strong, okay? And, and I remember, though, um, I had a pretty bad panic attack. Uh, right after they had said, okay, you need to say your goodbyes. We're going to do it now. And they actually offered for us to stay right there in the NICU when they did it. Cause they, they couldn't like wheel him off anywhere. He was already sick mm-hmm. enough and they want to keep him there. So they actually bring all their surgeon team into the NICU right there at bedside and do it. And so I was like, well, no, I don't really want to be in here for it. Like I can't be next to him anyways. And my husband had decided, he was like, I think it's best that you go out. Let's get some food. Let's go down to the break room. But I was just distraught I was a mess because I remember like something in my head telling me like not that not that we shouldn't have done it because this absolutely had to be done if we were going to move forward but just that like something was going to happen next and I couldn't pinpoint it and it wasn't good and I just remember like sobbing hysterically in the break room and just praying and then going back to the charge nurse up at the front desk and saying is he done is he done is he done she's like honey I will let you know as soon as he's done um and I would say after his PDA ligation surgery everything went well that night um you know as a NICU parent I did everything those first few weeks as much as I could to feel like 
I was doing something as his mother and contributing. And the most that I could do was like, you know, every night I would read him a book before I left the hospital and um, I would clean up around his incubator. I, I brought a jar of candy for my nurses. So I'd always make sure that was full for him and, and just tried to contribute. And the best way that I knew how was mother and my baby's in the hospital and so the night that he had his PDA ligation, I remember my mother and my father-in-law came and they visited him and they wanted to see how he was doing and he had done really well. He was resting really easy that night. So we felt really good about it. Like, okay, everything went really well. Like he's doing okay. Um, and then about 5 a.m., we get a call from one of our nurses and she says, Katie, he's really sick. We need you to come in. I'm like, what the, like everything was fine the night yeah. before. What do you mean he's, okay. And she said, and we need you to come fast. And at this point, I'm like, well, this isn't good. And I remember like, I, I hit my husband, he was sleeping and I, and I heard him went, Tyler, wake up, wake up. And he wakes up. I said, we have to get the hospital now. They said he's very sick and we need to get there now. And without hesitation, he hops up. We just put on the first thing we see in the closet and we're out the door and we get into the hospital doors and we get up there and there's nothing but medical professional crowded around him. And then a few of the students, like they were nursing students that were kind of standing around witnessing what was going on. And I look over the monitor and his heart rate was 238. And I thought, this is it. And you're hearing the beats and you're hearing this and that. And all, all I could do as mom was just stand back. And, and, and at that moment, my husband was holding me. And I just remember, I'm like, this has got to be the most helpless feeling in the world. And I just thought, this is it. Like, I knew it. We shouldn't have done this. Even though we had to, I was like, I knew it. Like, I knew he's going to die from this. And, and um, it turns out he had an infection and then he went sepsis. And so for those next, he lived 86 days in the NICU. So we went through a ton. Wow. So his story's long. So it was like, okay, we had the PDA ligation. He got sepsis the following morning. And that's pretty scary, infection of the blood. And um, he was put under paralytics. So I don't like to use the word a coma because he wasn't necessarily under a coma. But they explained it to us that we don't want him exerting any of his energy right now. We need his body to stay still. So he's going to be put under what we call paralytics and so it was like the next week he was like put under so his body he was basically shut down it was like he was in a coma mm -hmm. and uh they were trying to get the infection under control and so this was mid-march and gosh after really what seemed like weeks but after a week of that fighting that infection and being on the paralytics, they finally said, okay, we're going to wean him. He's going to start to wake up a little bit. And, and that day I can remember it was, it was mid-March. I can't remember the exact date, but he started waking up and I said his name and he opened his little eyes. And I remember I was like, Hey buddy, are you in there? And, and I said, wake up. It's okay. It's okay. Because I just thought, Honestly, for the past week, he looked dead. Uh, and like every day 
during that week, it was like we were hanging on minutes and we we're hanging on hours. And I just remember like everybody saying that, like, look, we're we're hanging by like hours here. You know, if he makes it through today and every day he makes, it's a miracle. So him waking up was great. And then I have this little video of him when he was waking up out of it that I'm sure it wasn't a smile, but it looked I it looked like the slightest little smile. And I remember hearing someone say, Mama, I'm okay, I'm in here. And he woke up from that. And he had finally, it was like seven weeks into his life. And at that point, they tell me, hey, you can hold him. And I was like, no way. So they tried to switch him to this like next step up ventilator. He wasn't breathing on his own yet, but they were really trying to push for it. So that allowed me then to be able to hold him. And so I remember the first time that I held him, he was hooked to so many different cords. He had... Um, Gosh, I'm skipping so many details, but like he had an art line almost pricked in him, like in every line that was, how should I say this? Because of the infection with an art line, when when he first got an art line, when he very first got there, they got it in, which was great. And that's how they'd administer the meds and everything. They can never get a pick line, which is a smaller, I don't know how to explain it, tube-like and like. They take it down the shoulder or through the arm and near the heart or something and administer meds. Safer, less less risk of infection. They can never get a pick line in them from the start. But they were to get these art lines. Well, so when we switched him off of that ventilator and they told me that I could hold him, um, the issue with him being under paralytics and his body failing in and out because of this infection he was fighting, like they kind of lost all lines except for this one line that they were able to get in his foot that day. And then um, I remember them like saying, okay, we need you to sit down, get comfortable. We're going to put pillows by you. And I mean, the way I got to very first hold my son was very different than your traditional. And I just remember thinking, this isn't how I totally pictured it, but... I am like so grateful because I didn't think this day would come. And so they transfer him over to me and he was very sensitive still. I mean, anything could set his stats off. Like he was very, so we had to be like really, really careful with how we handled him. And so the nurse, they get him ready and comfortable and they hand him to me. And I remember like looking down at him as they handed him to me and, you know, his eyes were closed, but they had it. The, the cloth over and everything because he was very sensitive. He's very sick. And I remember looking down at him and I thought, this is so incredible. I remember in the moment being like so happy, like I get to hold him. And um, that was March 31st. I'll never forget that day because that day, because that was the very first day I held him. And um, so then for the next week, he started like he was getting blood transfusions he was showing that he was making improvements. And so with improvements came more interaction forms. So finally, about a week later, although very sick, I was able to do skin to skin with him. And I had these three incredible days in a row. I can remember just waking up every day looking forward to it like, oh, I can't wait to go do skin to skin. And I and I truly believe this to this day. This is where it kind of breaks my heart. Um I truly believe that skin to skin was healing him. 
um, his sat his his stats would like level out perfectly when I would hold him. Um, he seemed to respond in the slightest ways, and actually, the second day holding him skin to skin by some miracle, um, he put his little thumb in his mouth on my chest, and I thought, what? Wow, <laughs> they can do this, you know and. Sorry, I feel like I'm skipping so many details, but, like, he started third spacing, like, weeks before that in between, like, his, like, all the paralytics. But third spacing basically means that the fluids that were, he wasn't taking in the fluids properly, so the fluids would just sit between the skin tissue and the muscle. It wouldn't actually go into the veins. So what happened is he started just retaining all of this fluid, all over his body from the infection. So he was real puffy. And so um, during those three days of skin to skin, it's like, no, like his his third spacing's gone down. Like he sucked his thumb. He's like responding a little bit. And I remember um, after those three days, we had what's called a care conference and we had him weekly with our doctors. It's basically a conference to say like, this is where your baby's at this week. This mm-hmm. is, you know, what we're wanting to do next and all that other stuff. And so he brings me in, and I remember he says to me, he's like, hey, the doctor says to me, he's like, I know how much you've enjoyed skin to skin, but we're going to have to put some chest tubes in them, and you won't be able to hold them again. And I like looked at him, and I was like, are you kidding me? I said, no, he's getting better, though. You can't take him from me. I remember thinking, I'm healing him. Like, forget all the medical intervention. Like, I'm healing him, and I truly believed in that. And I... And I want to say there was truth to it. And and I said, are you kidding me? And I said, you know, to the doctor, I said, he's getting better, though. Please don't. I, I feel like if you take him from me again and I don't get to hold him anymore, he's not, he's going to stop getting better. And and he said, but we have to. What's happening is he's having fluid build up in and around his lungs. And basically what it feels like to Cooper now is an elephant sitting on top of his chest as he's trying to breathe from all this. This is what I want you to understand and why we need to relieve some of that liquid for it and, and get it out through chest tubes. Oh, and I didn't like that. And sure enough, the next day we have four chest tubes in four. And I look at him and I'm like, at this point, I'm like questioning because now it's the beginning of April and I feel like we're in and out of infections a bunch and we're, we have our good days, we have our bad days like you would in the NICU, but I remember looking at him and I'm like, oh, this is just like, I questioned whether we were doing the right thing. And so I, I questioned that a lot through our NICU journey, but like I wasn't about to get up, like give up the fight. If the doctors were saying, we're going to try this, we're going to try that. Heck yes, I'm going to try it too. You know, you don't stop till you absolutely know. So they put the four chest tubes in him and he releases all this fluid within 24 hours. And I misunderstood, but I thought it was this great thing. Well, supposedly it's not. And the doctor's like, no, we didn't want him to lose it like that quickly. And so then he started going to what's called met- metabolic acidosis. And the doctor kind of explained, like, you know, it feels like after a hard workout, you know, and your muscles ache, it feels like that for him head to toe. And I can remember Easter morning, though, like, as soon as, like, he had lost all that fluid, it was Easter morning. And 
he looked over at me and he opened his little eyes and I was just telling him, I can't even remember just talking to him and I'll never forget that morning because that morning was so beautiful. Like the connection was so strong. He just intently gazed at me and I was telling him the story and all this stuff. And I, at this point in the NICU journey, I'm like, yeah, I, we're doing better. I think like we're still going, so we're going somewhere with it. So, oh, about a week later, week and a half later, we get another one of those middle of the night phone calls. And it's about 2 a.m. And they said, hey, Cooper's taking a turn for the worse. We need you to come in. And at this point, I'm like, oh. And what people don't understand is like babies, especially premature, where everything is not fully, you know, mature from the beginning. And it's still not through it. That when these babies get sick, they get sick fast. And it can turn deadly really quick. So... We get this call, and I can remember my husband and I, it was kind of a rainier morning, and it's like 3 a.m., and we get in the car, and I start having a panic attack, and I can remember, like, rubbing my, like, as a coping mechanism, rubbing my hands on the top of, like, my thighs here when we're sitting in the car, and w when you hear, he took a turn for the worse, come in, mm -hmm. okay, this right. is goodbye, this is it. This is now. Okay, now it's really goodbye. Like, because Cooper lived through a lot of things. I feel like I'm skipping here in detail, but he lived through a lot of things that even a lot of those doctors in there shared. I don't know how he made it through that. And I'm like, well, he did. So let's still keep fighting, you know. Mm -hmm. But I'm sitting here and I remember as we're driving to the hospital, I'm rubbing my, you know, thighs and I'm making this noise. It's like, Oh, oh, oh. And I just remember, like, my husband looking over at me. He's like, you got to calm down, remember to breathe. And I said, Heather, I just don't know if I could do this again. I don't know if I could do it. And he's like, you're going to do it, and it's going to be fine. Let's get there and figure out what's going on. We run in. We run up there. And he um, uh, he didn't look good. Um, he was back on an oscillator, which was, like, the highest how do you want to explain it? The one that helps with breathing the most. I, sorry, my mind's going blank. But um, one of the doctors said to us, uh, he is not breathing at all on his own. And uh, we think that it's fair that your baby die in dignity and he die in your arms. And oh, I like look at him and I was like, I remember like looking at my husband, looking at him, and I just remember going, I don't want to do this right now. Like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I, I remember just panicking. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not time. It's not time. I was like, his heart's still beating. His heart's still beating. And he's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't, I don't, this is it. And he, he, he needs to be with you. And, and so I get this hospital gown on because he's he's real puffy and he's he's leaking fluid though literally out of his pores at this point and all the tpm because he couldn't feed first that you know they were feeding him the tpm which is which is like a replacement that when they can't do feedings anymore it, when they're so sick they're on this liquid terrible stuff anyways so he was leaking mineral fluid and i remember i was like fine i get him in my arms and i look up at his sats and like because that's all you focus on as the NICU parents. Like, you look at the sats all the time because you hear the beeps and you want to see where he's at. And, like, holding him and I look down and I remember saying to him, 
I am not saying goodbye yet. And I said, God, I don't want to say goodbye to him like this. This is not how I want to say goodbye. He looks horrible. And, and I remember just begging. I'm like, no, tonight's not the night. Tonight's not the night. Please, tonight not, is not the night. And so they had the head neonate doctor come in. He, he fled down the road, and it, he lives up the canyon, but he, he sped down, and he gets there. And he looks at him, and he looks at me, and he's looking at his heart. He did an echo on him as he was in my arms, and we're, you know, hanging on to every second minute. It seemed like that early morning, and he said, his heart's still beating. Let's give him another chance. And so then I look at Tyler, and we're like, okay, let's go. We're not giving up yet. Nope, his heart's still, okay, let's do it. So at this point, at this point, we, I can remember later that day, there was a nurse and we needed to get a line in. At this point, his veins were shot. But if we knew that we could get a line in, that, that was his lifeline. It was like, this is the only way to save him. We've got to get some sort of line in so that we can get medicine in him. And uh, my mom was there. And my, my grandma was there. My father-in-law was there. There might have been a few more people, but I remember we went into the room that was right next to his bed there in the little NICU. And, and my mom said, get on your knees now. And we need to pray. And we need to tell God, you need to get this line in. You need to get it in. And she said, Katie, you start praying and just start praying hard. And so I started saying a prayer, all of us in the circle, my husband was actually out by my son's bedside with the nurse and the doctors because they were about to perform it. And so we're, we're off in the room praying for a miracle. And all of a sudden, we hear some like clapping towards the end of the prayer. And I run out, and I said, what, what? And they're like, I don't know how we did it. We got a pick line in, a pick line out of all things. We got a pick line in. And I remember looking at my nurse who did it. And I was like, Thank you. She said, don't give me the credit. Look up. I was like, oh. So we hugged and we cried. And um, so then we start the process again for a few more weeks. And now we're headed into the beginning of May. And, you know, he was sick on and off. And now we're checking levels and numbers and all this. And I can remember going to bed and then waking up every day, calling in Howard's levels this morning. And, and, Oh, towards the end, it was just, I just remember numbers because we were just measuring everything from like his potassium to just all those like little nitty gritties that you don't even know exist or you don't think about to make the body function. So I remember like asking numbers. That's what I remember. So we get into beginning of May and those last two weeks of April were filled with like a ton of chest x-rays. Why? Because when he got his first infection clear back in March, um, the, the virus came in and he, he got these things called pneumatocils on his lungs. So basically the virus comes in and it eats, it eats at the lung tissue and it causes these big gaping holes and some, they can heal up on their own. The doctors can help, you know, and some of them, he had one big one in his left lung that just, it, we tried everything to close it and we couldn't. And the doctor kind of explained it like, so like that 
majority of his lung is dead, but this part still works. And I'm like, okay, you know, and I tried to understand it. So the last two weeks of April, we were doing chest x-rays. I'm talking five or six a day because we wanted to see the progress of those pneumatoses. We wanted to see them go down. A few shrunk. A few went totally away. It was great. Um, and then we, the doctor suggested probably the beginning of May, hey, we need to do another brain scan soon just to see the, you know, what's going on in the brain since everything's gone down. And so they did a brain scan and I can't remember the day. I know that like it was, it was about five, six days before Mother's Day. We get called in for another care conference and our doctor sits us down and says, we did a brain scan until I talked to the, the pediatric doctor, surgeon. Um, I don't want to confirm anything. He's like, but I'm worried. And he was very honest and clear with me. And I said, okay, okay. And he's like, I'm worried. And if I'm right, this is what it's going to look like. He said, if Cooper makes it out of here, which we think he will, they, they want to be optimistic. Um, he said to me, he will be a complete uh, a paraplegic he he won't eat on his own he won't walk on his own he won't talk on his own and at this point like I look over to my husband I remember looking at him and my husband had just this fear in his in his eyes and I looked at him I said we can do it you know of course because I'm like I don't I just want him to live right I'll, I'll do anything I'll take care of him not a problem you know and and just kind of telling us, though, that, like, he was going to have a low quality of life, but still my heart. Like, I don't know if this was a selfish part, but I'm like, no, I, no, I'm fighting for him still. No, you know. And so he said, well, once I talk to the other surgeon and we review his brain scans, we'll call you back in and we'll let you know. So the next few days come by and May 11th comes around. Can I ask a question? Yeah. At this point, how old is he? Like, how? So 86 days, three months old. Okay. I think. Yeah. Well. And and I've skipped out on so much detail here, but my our whole NICU state was like they they gave us every reason to hope that we were going to make it out right. of there. Right. And so literally, we were living at this rental house in Provo. They told us, "Hey, he's going to come home on oxygen, so just make sure your place is well ventilated." We were wow. in the middle before that shopping for townhomes, like our first little home. I I don't know how we did it, but during in the NICU, I went back to work. My husband went back to work, wow. and my. I worked for a school district that was right across the street. So they had so much grace, my boss did, in the sense that on days that I didn't want to work, I just didn't have to work. Or if I wanted to take my work over to the NICU and sit by him, I could do it. So I felt very blessed in that way. Yeah. Um, so anyways, but it, so through those 86 days, here we are May 11th, and it's like, yeah, he lived through a lot of things that he shouldn't have. We, we get there, and... Um, we're just kind of like, there's been really no progress. At this point, the past two days, he's been on a constant morphine drip. And at that point, I'm like, well, I think like a constant morphine drip, that's not good, you know? And and, and, and in my head, I'm like, yeah, this he, he's in pain. And I remember doing cares with him one night and the respiratory therapist saying to me, he's sick. He's really sick. You should know that. And I just like looked at her and I didn't know whether to be offended or not because I'm like, maybe I'm a little in denial, but maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm still just giving him every fighting yeah. chance. Well, so anyways, we're sitting there May 11th that afternoon. It's about 1.30. I can remember looking up at the clock and I see both the neonates 
kind of by the bed and I see one of them kind of nod his head to the other doctor and say, let's go, it's time. And I kind of look, I'm looking at him from the side of my eye by his bed. And they both walk over to me and Tyler and they said, hey, can you guys have a care conference right now? And I look down at Cooper. I'm like, uh, this is it, huh? You're going to tell me this is it. So we said yes, and we're walking down. My husband's remaining optimistic, and I, I remember, like, swinging my arms, like, to the side, like, again, like, kind of a coping mechanism, but I remember going, they're going to tell us, like, this is it. This is it today. So he sits us in there, and he says, uh, we reviewed the results. Um, his brain is liquefied, 95% worth. So he's, he's no longer there, and he hasn't been there for quite some time. And it's interesting because, like, so when I heard that, I was like, oh, my gosh. Throughout, like, the NICU time, my husband and I had been, like, there have been times where we'd leave the hospital and go home and both look at each other at the same time and go, do you feel him with us? And he's like, yeah, that's weird. Do you feel him right now? I'm like, wow. yeah, I totally feel him right now. Yeah, and so then, but not only on top of that, there were nights where I was driving home and this little girl popped into my head. Wow. And I kept thinking, well, who's this little girl? No accidents, I had a little girl later. Anyway, so, but, so he tells us that, you know, it, it um, that was it, that, uh, that his brain was liquefied and that um, he started going back into the, you know, when and if he makes it out of here. And I said, doctor I said you said if and he said and I said he shook his head yes and and I said if I know you by now after 86 days I know that you don't tell me if unless you absolutely know I said you're telling me I need to take him off life support huh and he and he shook his head silently yes and yeah in that moment I I started weeping, obviously, just kind of in my lap, and my husband starts weeping. And he says, no, look, you can go home. You don't have to do it today. You can take a night to think about it. And I said, nope. I said, I've seen enough. At this point, like, this anger kind of came over me. I said, I've seen enough after 86 days. I was like, he's laying there in pain. I'm tired, and I don't want to see him like this anymore. So we're doing it, and we're doing it tonight, and there's no question about it. And my I look over at my husband like, well, okay, I just kind of set the decision, but are you okay with that? And and he just uh, he said, yeah, and we were both sobbing, and then he said, do you want to call your parents? And that was probably, like, the worst part. Um, like, I couldn't call my mom, so we had the doctor. And the doctor called my mom, and she was in Las Vegas at the time. That's where her company is, and... So she she was consistently there throughout our NICU journey, but she was working. She had to go back and work for a little bit, and he called her and uh, said, hey, we want to let you know that we're going to be taking Cooper off of life support tonight. I remember just hearing her on the other line. It was horrible. And then they called my dad. 
And they called Tyler's parents. So my mom got on a flight. I don't know how she made it in that soon, but by that night, um, a lot of family came. And I was just holding him at this point. All I wanted to do was hold him because I'd just been robbed of so many days and hours of being able to hold him. So I just wanted to hold him, so I held him. And nurses came in that weren't on shift that night that were his nurses throughout his whole stay. And they came and they loved on him and they loved on me. And we cried and we sobbed together. And I just, it was so um, spiritual too. And, and a lot of other moms will share their spiritual journeys through it. But I remember they had our family members and siblings go down to a room. And they took everything and they disconnected his medications. And the only thing that was left was his, his ventilator. So they built us down the hall into the room. And everybody got to kind of meet him. And I was stumbling. I thought, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to pull his cord. Because that's, like, official. And so our doctor said, when we, when we pull the line here, he'll take his breath on his own. And then eventually it'll stop. And so they did it and they yelled him. It wasn't long, but as I was holding him, and I forgot to mention that we allowed our family to hold him before I did and before we took his breathing tube out and disconnected everything, and everybody had their time with him and and said their words that they wanted to say, and it was incredible, the amount of love that was in that room, but as my husband and I sat and held him during his last breath, I remember... I held him up close to me, and as soon as I stopped, I felt that last heartbeat, and then I didn't feel anything at all. I remember something saying, they came on, tell him I'm okay. And so, like, I remember, like, looking up, and I was like, guys, he's okay. And then I just remember putting my head back down and just sobbing, and, you know, they allowed us to give him a bath. I'd never been able to give him a bath. And then um, just the typical things that you do. I guess with your baby and so I gave him a bath and we put him in the one little outfit that I bought him and I just wanted to see him in a little outfit and then it was my husband and I for a while and by this time it was 2 a.m. everybody had said their goodbyes and left and it was him and I oh and I just didn't want to let go and I remember I'm just laying up there and as my husband said, you know, let's go home. It's time to go. I remember giving him a kiss and holding that kiss for so long. Because <laughs> I just wanted to always remember that moment. <sighs> and that was it. And we left. And, you know, I kind of want to say, like, 
Yes, the funeral followed, and it was a beautiful ceremony. And the weeks following that, I I would say like the first couple months, I was numb, but I was uh, almost kind of fearful that I knew that point was going to come where people were going to go on with their life, but I was going to be stuck in my grief. And I feared that. So um, I, I did something out of that. I worked for a school district at that time, and we were able to hold something that following December form called Christmas with Cooper. And I thought, well, if I don't get to see my own child smile at Christmas, I certainly want to see other children. And so we held this meet and greet Christmas with Cooper, held a silent auction. Over 1,500 people attended. Companies donated all these gift baskets for the silent auction. We made, was it $7,000? That $7,000 then, it was an incredible event. Um, but I ran, that's how I ran away from my grief following that whole thing, because I'm like, well, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with the hard yet. It's going to come, but this is how I'm going to deal with it now. So after that, it went great. We were able to purchase a, a NICU, a specialized NICU crib. We donated it. They put a plaque that says in, in memory of Cooper Lee Waite, generously donated by with our names and it still remains in the NICU today and every so often I get pictures from nurses and they put their little head and they're like we have a baby today with Cooper's crib you know and it warms my heart because it's it'll always be in there so but boy um that September so we lost him he passed away May 11th we have the funeral a week later about a week later um I don't feel like it's necessarily important to go into the funeral aspect because I really want to get to the trauma and the postpartum of this. But um, that September, we met with a high-risk doctor because we, we just felt like our arms were empty, but like we wanted to know what our future was going to look like. And, and I remember the high-risk doctor, the very first thing that she had stated to me, she said, if you can't imagine having another NICU baby or losing another baby, I honestly would not advise you or your husband to try for another baby again. Thank you so much for listening to part one of Katie's story. Um, The next episode will be the second part of her story, talking about her process of grieving the loss of Cooper and what it looked like for them to get pregnant again and just her process of healing and where she's at today. So thank you for your love and support.
Thank you for listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. If you feel like you can relate and would be open to share your story with us, please email us at risingphoenixpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on local and national resources for pregnancy and postpartum health, visit www.postpartum.net or www.psiutah.org. We are recording from the Stone Sheba Podcast Studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and others. Thanks for listening.